we're seeing this glossy, larger-than-life version of entrepreneurship out in the paper, the Musk buying Twitter and all of this stuff and the billions and billions of dollars. That, those are perfectly good routes. As an entrepreneur, I think the highest skill set of all is to listen well. And if you're a good listener, that's going to make you a much better human being in your family life and your personal life and all the rest of it. Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. I'm Ryan Shepard, health enthusiast, amateur ultra runner, and award-winning business consultant. And each week, I interview the most accomplished people in the world, from professional and Olympic athletes to CEOs, best-selling authors, and even the occasional magician to demystify what it takes to achieve success at the highest level. Take what you can from these stories to optimize your mind, your body, and your career so you can make every breath count. Thank you for investing the time in the show and yourself. Now let's get started. Peter Drucker said the best way to predict the future is to create it. My guest today is Rick Terrian. He's a multiple-time entrepreneur and author of the book, The Ageless Startup. If you've ever thought about starting your own company or just desire the freedom and autonomy of working for yourself, this episode's perfect for you. Rick and I talk about what it takes to become an entrepreneur and start a successful company at any age and with any experience level. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you found this episode inspiring, educational, or entertaining, feel free to give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. So let's hop right into this conversation with Rick Terrian. I am Ryan Sheckle. This is the Every Breath Counts podcast, and I'm being joined today by Rick Tarian. And Rick, I've, I'm really excited about this conversation. Entrepreneurship is a really interesting subject to me. So I want to kind of start off with a not a story, but let's just say a situation, a life situation for maybe one of my listeners that may be going through this right now. And, you know, let's, let's just kind of put our minds in, in what these listeners may be going through. So maybe they're coasting through life right now. They've had success at a job. They've grown their career a little bit. They're 30, 40, 50 years old. They've had success. They've made some money. They're comfortable. They're supplying for their family, but they don't feel fulfilled. They feel like they want to create something. They want to, they want to have full autonomy and ownership of something in their life, and they want to monetize it as a business. Is it too late for them? Most of the businesses, and this was pre-pandemic, but it's gone up since the pandemic. Most of the businesses in the United States are founded by people who are 45 and older. Really? Yep. It's now, and it's a significant majority. Now, the revenues are generated by investment grade businesses, not these little startups, these ones and two persons. But those one and two person businesses are over 75% of the total businesses registered in the United States. So it's a significant piece, especially if you're one of them. Uh, then it does give you the opportunity to turn yourself um, towards things you're passionate about and things you want to leave as a legacy and things you want to fix in the world. Um, there's not a lot of people who are going to start saying no to older people when they get the ahead of steam up. <laughs> well, I mean, at, at a certain point you have built up experience and knowledge, right? So if you're starting a business, there's a couple things you need. And one of the main things you would need is, is 
understanding of the business structure, is knowing what you're providing, what service or product that may be, and the value it has for the end user. So, I mean, I would imagine that that with age comes maybe exponential experience compared to someone who may be right out of school with just a good idea. And uh, and uh, first, I agree with you. Although there is nothing at all wrong with somebody who's just getting out of school, that's there is full of promise and hope and new ideas and invention, and it's all good. This has got to be an intergenerational bridge over time. But the to your point, um, yeah, we need um, the ability to share the knowledge that's built up over time. I'll get a quick little foundation story for what got me going down this path. I used to consult for one of the largest trade organizations in the world. And I was looking at this group at their annual convention. And here's this complex mix. It built up over a hundred years. It was 120 years old. And it was prime, you know, primary vendors, major customers, startups, banks, logistics, insurance, all of it. And it was a wonder to see how much they all played their own roles. They didn't have to build the whole structure, but they were all contributing to a greater value than their own by kicking in. And I looked out in the hallway, and here's small groups of five, six, seven men and women of a certain age saying goodbye to each other. They'd hit an age on somebody's spreadsheet back in a cubicle someplace, and their only options were to quit or get fired and uh, retire and off you go and here's the watch. Well, these are the people that just built what I was admiring over my shoulder. They knew the history of the multiple companies and cross-industry patterns and who did what to who when and how these mergers and acquisitions all worked. And this is a, a, an immensely powerful data set and knowledge set. And not putting it to work is a, a a waste on our part. It's just dumb. Yeah. I mean, you think about that almost like a social responsibility. Like if you have information that people are seeking, it's, it's almost your responsibility to share it. I feel like with the world. So I'm curious, right? So if you're 30, 40, 50 years old, you have a vast amount of experience. You're thinking about starting a company. To me, this seems a lot scarier. And I know that, um, I know there's a term in investing, and I don't know if it's uh, it's like um, lost cost or or whatever that may be. Of the fear of losing something is is more powerful than the fear of gaining something. It's like opportunity cost, and I feel like people who are at this point in their career, so long as they are still employable, um, oftentimes would be more fearful of losing that security of a full time job. Uh, what should we be doing to wrap our heads around this idea of going out on our own and taking that risk when it may not be something, even with a good idea, that someone that's 30, 40, 50 years old uh, is thinking about pursuing? Well, right. And I'm going to be the last person to urge people to walk off a bridge. Um, <laughs> I tell people when they're 40, they should be thinking about this. When they're 45, they should be planning it. When they're 50, they should be doing it. Uh, we're all going to be living, most of us are going to be living significantly longer, and our abilities to continue to make these contributions is going to be ongoing. And as you, as the people you were just describing, and me and all of my friends age up into this demographic cohort, um, 
we need to put something in place for ourselves. We're not going to be the most employable yeah. kids on the block. We're not going to be the ones that often get picked first for the, you know, the game on the playground. Uh, when in fact, though, there is many arguments for bringing those very people onto the game and, and into the game. One of the things I learned when I was researching this book is among the biggest impediments to entrepreneurship is not knowing enough entrepreneurs. Pretty oh, interesting. And the two groups that know the fewest entrepreneurs are young people and older people. Uh, I can't take them both on at once, but this older cohort, the idea is you can come in and put a arm yourself up, we call it, getting an entity status around yourself, make yourself a small business. Doesn't mean you have to go tearing into the world. Doesn't mean you need investors or you've got to sell equity or, or any of that. Just get yourself hardened up so that you're not exposing yourself and your family. Those are the risks you were talking about in business. You can avoid those by putting together this entity shell. Um, and then get to know your friends this is, and, and, and peers that are like that. This isn't the Lone Ranger stuff anymore that I grew up with, you know, where somebody rides into town and fixes things. This is a networked world, and the solutions are networked as well. So if you are in a network of peer entrepreneurs and somebody knocks on the doors, can you do X, Y, and Z? You say, well, I can do X, but I know Helen. She can do Y, and Susan can do Z. And yeah, we'll come out as a team, and then we can fall back into the network as needed. It's a like a pretty cool value pool, a, a, a knowledge pool, a labor pool that has some really valuable skills that you don't have to commit to for decades. This is interesting. You're, you're talking about uh, networking setting up, uh, finding, first of all, finding peers, coworkers, uh, just a, a network of people who have been through the entrepreneurial journey. But I mean, suggesting just starting a company as well. I mean, do you really need to have your idea set in stone? Can you, can you just start a company, uh, LLC, whatever for me, Ryan Sheckle incorporated, whatever it may be, um, before really having your idea fully baked? Well, they can emerge in parallel. There's there's no doubt about that. I don't want to have you do, you know, Ryan LLC with absolutely no idea what you're going to do on the other side. Now, you know, it's a fast way to, you know, you only burn up a couple hundred bucks unless you're in California. Then it's a little more expensive. Um, but, you know, it's not expensive to do. But I would suggest to you, Ryan, or anybody listening, that people have all kinds of loves in their life. It could be the industry they're working in, that there was some small part of it that the, the leadership of that organization didn't see as valuable, but you did. Um, it could be a community that you live in or a, a region you live in that you want to make a contribution to. Um, having those ideas in place as you your new organization rolls itself out on sort of a direction you're going, it helps you pick up allies along the way, find new friends, find new strengths. Yeah, a lot of the guests that I've had, I don't want to say a lot. I mean, I've had some amazing guests on this podcast. And and what what happens sometimes, I should say, a lot of the guests that try to get on this podcast are um guests that maybe brand themselves as an expert but don't necessarily have some experience in the field they're branding themselves as an expert in. This is not you. Uh you started what four companies now as as an entrepreneur major not just you know uh, coaching whatever it may be but four major companies um at different 
aspects of your life too, at different ages and in different seasons of your life. So can you walk me through the differences in these four companies and how you kind of started and established them as companies and businesses from maybe point A to like idea to execution of said idea? Sure. Um, I think the common theme is intellectual property. It, it sounds okay. um, a little off-putting, uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean patents and all of this, but it means knowing something that you can make a contribution to that someone else probably can't. And then there's different ways to express that. So first and second businesses were wildly different. One I started, the first one I started when I was in college with a little bowl full of change on my dresser drawer. And that business was still going 40 years later. What um, business was that? Uh, and I did a certain kind of printing. The intellectual property part of that is I learned to hack some ink chemistry. This is back in the day oh, before cool. yeah. being a hacker was a cool thing. And then it wasn't digital. I was hacking ink, for goodness sake. Um, but I figured out a way to make large scale promotional banners. And it's, you know, now this, you know, you can go down to Best Buy and pick up something for 20 bucks of print banners. But back in the day, you had to hire sign painters. and. Um, we had all the United Ways in the country. We had all the YMCAs. I had universities all over the world, Trinity College, Dublin. Uh, we had 75% of the Fortune 500 as customers for sales meetings, you know, Midwest sales dealers wow. with the Chevy logo on the end or something like that. It was a really, really fun run. Uh, but then I saw that my intellectual property, and I'd never once let anybody in my fa- outside my family come into that shop in 25 years. Wow. Um, because I didn't want anybody to see what we were doing. Uh, and that worked just fine. UPS man came through the front door, didn't get in the back. And all of our shipments went out by UPS back in the day. Um, I saw my intellectual property failing there, not failing, but at risk. Um, yeah. These computers were coming out since the 90s. Uh, yes. Of sooner or later, any 16-year-old could buy enough computer and, and be doing this. So when I transfer from business to business, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I usually take a sabbatical for a year or so, year and a half, figure out the next step. I did that with the next one. And it again was relying on intellectual property. This time it was something that I learned to do as a young man with my dad. Um, and I saw that that problem was still existed in the world. Uh, and so I started a new business at age 45. And it ended up being the one with the most fireworks associated with it. I ended up with nine patents there, again, pursuing intellectual property. We had customers all over the world. We had all over Asia, all over Africa. Um, We owned North America in heavy industry. It was the Caterpillars and John Deere's and all the car companies. That was really fun. But I have been jumping in from side to side, learning new things with each of these businesses, trying to hold on to one key thing that associated me with the value of that product. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that, um, because that was an interesting comment, associated you with the value of the products. How, how do you associate yourself with the value? It's much of what I tell people that in this world of ageless entrepreneurs, this older entrepreneurs, second half of life stuff, um, it's your knowledge, it's your network, and your, your networks, plural, and your know-how. Um, I don't care if 
you're a landscaper. I mean to demean landscapers. I love landscapers. You can be in any profession and you have unique knowledge and know-how. And now that it's gotten to be the 21st century, we can talk to people in the Middle East and Africa and Albuquerque and Portland, Maine, and it doesn't cost anything. We can join with those people to make solutions in their communities based on this subset of things that are unique to us. And they don't have to be, you don't have to be a physicist or a neuroscience to, to do this. I've got good friends who are, who I have a wonderful friend in, in, in our organization who the, the term is sewist now. We're trying to not do seamstress and tailor. Um, but she grew up in a family of 12 and really learned to repurpose fabric and, you know, hand-me-downs, hand-me-ups. Uh, she led a, a corporate life in a cubicle, brutal job, tough schedules, government contracting. And she, by the time she retired, chose to retire a couple years ago, uh, she had a two-year waiting list of customers for her new business wanting to utilize the sewing skills that she had. Uh, and and she's got a two-year waiting list. I, I, be, I know most CEOs uh, that I have as friends would love to have a two-year waiting love list that. of customers. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can do. And, and if you don't need to pay the rent with this or buy shoes for the kids, this is not an immediate thing. It takes longer than you expect. That's why I tell people, get going now. It takes longer than you want. Um, this is a perfectly wonderful way to continue to make contributions on your terms. I think this is an interesting idea. I, I, I like this. It's interesting to me that you, first of all, said that IP is first and foremost. Um, and I want to dive in a little bit on how to establish that IP. Because I know that your second company, you said um, you ended up having nine patents on. Now, your first one, it doesn't sound like you had a patent. You just had an idea. Um, I think that a lot of folks who are working have ideas and have understandings, intimate understanding of the business they're in, but don't know how to turn that understanding into intellectual property. How can you take that and turn it into intellectual property? So there's a range of intellectual property. They, intellectual property is an umbrella term. Mm -hmm. And under this, you can you have copyrights and trademarks, which is what most of us will do. I, I don't recommend this patent route unless you've got some really deep pockets. I was able to pull yeah. it off at the time. Um, but in that first business, it was a, a trademark issue essentially and that i just didn't show anybody the how to do it ever um but if i had and if i'd gone for a patent on this ink chemistry then i've got to publish that and that's what when you do when you get a patent you publish exactly how you do it and then you're granted a, a reprieve of, from competition for a fixed amount of time but you're also back to the front of that sentence, you're also publishing exactly what you know how to do. Yeah, yeah. And once you do that, anybody can read it. And in my opinion, change a comma here, a comma there, change the color to blue, whatever. And it's just such an expensive world now uh, to defend these things. But it is still the concept of intellectual property and something you know. Uh, I don't care who you are. You have the ability to walk in with just a little confidence and say, hi, I'm Helen or I'm Jim. You don't know me, but I'd like to help with this. 
Yeah. And a lot of times it's we're trained in it, right? And I go back to some of the most creative people that I've ever met in my entire life are teachers. Um, They're also some of the most underpaid people. And it's one of the biggest, not complaints, but it's a conversation I've had oftentimes with teachers of we deserve more. We're affecting, we're we're impacting the future um, intelligence of our country, of the world. You know, we're impacting these kids. I couldn't agree more. Yep. But the conversation that I like to have with teachers is that there has to be a way to monetize your skill set outside of teaching in a public school. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, there's a path for that. There's so many tutoring services. There's the Kumon math. There's the Montessori model. There's a lot of these different models. I mean... Are we talking now for someone that maybe a 50-year-old teacher that's looking to retire after 30 years of teaching say, hey, you have intellectual property. You know how to educate students. We just need to build a framework around that understanding so that you can monetize it as a business. Correct. And, And you don't need millions of likes and followers to do this. The, the new model that's emerging, and I'm a believer in this, are very structured networks that are closed to the outside, that are social media free. I'm, I'm, I'm here in Pittsburgh helping with a startup, and I'm trying to put, I have been putting together a network of people on Facebook, of all things. And there, there's about 200 companies that are involved in this, and people just want to shoot me. It's it's all we had was Facebook at the time. But mm-hmm. now you can put together these new self-contained networks. There's a, a number of them are out there. Mighty Networks is one, um, where you control the conversation that's in there. You're not bombarded by the mass culture all the time. It's your space. And you can let 15 or 20 or 100 people into that and become a significant success. Hmm. You're an entrepreneur because you're controlling yeah. the conversation. And more importantly, Ryan, you own those customers at, at a Facebook or a LinkedIn kind of thing. You're renting space on their platform. You don't have access to those members. If they ever shut you off, you're done. So this new digital world is allowing new kinds of uh, sealed off networks. That's interesting. So it's funny you say that too, because you know you hear all these people. There's different companies that you could pay companies to help grow your Instagram. That can help grow your YouTube. You can buy followers. If if I really wanted to, I could buy ten thousand listeners to this podcast, right. and they would listen every episode. I could monetize the podcast and sell ads. It would. It would. It's not even that expensive, but it doesn't mean anything. It, it's just it falsely inflated numbers. Now, if you understand math. I, I think what you're getting to is that if you have 10 loyal, interested customers that are willing to pay a premium price for a service, let's call that $1,000 a month. Maybe they have a small business and you can help them. 10 customers, $1,000 a month is $10,000 a month, $140,000 a year. Like that's all you need is 10 Right. For that, and you're impacting massive change in those in those companies. So I think it, it's definitely something to take a step back and and look at, right? With, without any doubt. And the problem happens is that um, I'll go back to a Seth Godin quote I keep over my desk. It's it's those ten people you let in. It's going to be this good because the people that are we're talking about are going to make it this good. Those ten people are going to go out and start telling their friends. 
So the Seth Godin quote is, the best way to make a hit is to build something for the smallest viable audience and make it so good that people tell their peers. That's what this is about. And it doesn't even have to be $1,000 a month. It, I, I, when I was researching this book, and, and now we're looking at people in the second half of life that are 50 and up, whatever that number or magic number is, uh, when they interviewed those folks, they were to a person, they said, you know, we don't have to make 100 grand a year. Um, yeah. Our houses are paid for. Maybe we've got some Social Security, maybe this. You know, and the, the the number that fell out of this study from Babson College was that um, they would be happy to make 15 or 20 or 25 grand on top of what they already have and the ability to continue to make a contribution. That doesn't mean everybody's got to stop there. That doesn't mean that in any way or shape or form. But I don't want to think less of those people that if they made another 20 or 25 grand a year and got to work until they were 80 years old and did stuff they liked. I mean, tell me something wrong with this. No, I know. And Rick, one of the things you said was, and the ability to make a contribution, right? right? So that, which brings me to, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. I mean, how much of that purpose, that, that why uh, needs to be, needs to be incorporated in an entrepreneurial journey? So I'll talk about stealing one of the main words that I use in my world, and that's this word ageless. And I, the book title took that, Ageless Startup, this nonprofit we're putting together as a center for ageless entrepreneurs. And a little pushback from the gerontologists and those out fighting the, you know, the ageism and all the rest of it um, are not too crazy about that term, but I swiped it from a prize that I was lucky enough to be included on called the Purpose Prize. And the tagline for this is one that stuck with me is that making a difference is ageless. And I really think that's important. You can continue to make a difference. I don't care if you're housebound and you're ill. You can continue to make a contribution, given all this free technology that's floating around our lives now. Um, and I, I think that that is the biggest motivator. I think, you know, getting paid for it is a, a bonus and, and a good bonus. And if you have to do that, you structure your business accordingly. Uh, I, I yeah. like the term ageless. And I like the idea of using that not to say that we don't get older, but that as we get older, we can continue to make a difference. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So you you wrote the book, um, the ageless startup. And I'm curious because you've you've worked with a handful of people who have been entrepreneurs of all ages. I'm curious to know what you think the three most common mistakes entrepreneurs make are uh, when they're beginning their journey. The three most common mistakes are the opposite of the three things I tell people they should do. So uh, let me put that in a positive light rather than trying to figure out the inverse on the fly here. But I tell people to start I'll go, I'll run through them and then drop back. Yeah. Start small, mm -hmm. start smart and start right now. So if you think you're going to start big, go right ahead. Many people do it. You go out and get investors and all of that and be able to, you know, impact millions of people, but it's a really, really, really risky strategy. Um, starting small is not. Starting smart. So if you think you're the smartest kid in the block and you've got it all figured out, nobody's going to tell you anything. You're already lost. 
The world doesn't work like that anymore. This is a much better world than one person being able to run a significant part of that. God knows we see that all over the place. But it's finding your tribe, finding your network. It's this start smart. You're not going to do it all, but you can find people that together you can leverage what you do. And together as teams, you can uh, get a lot more done. And the last of those things is to start right now. It's the, uh, you know, it's so easy to put this off. It's just like, oh, I'm starting a business. You know, I got to go to an incubator and I got to sign up at courses and and all of that. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, but it's the old metaphor of when's the best time to plant a tree. And the best time was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. It's going to take longer than you want. Um, if you need it to go fast, it won't. Um if you allow for time for it to nurture and grow, you're going to give yourself much more success. So the opposite of those three, whatever those are, is the negative version of that, right? So, yeah, starting big, having zero humility and starting stupid and starting uh, 10 years from now, right? Yeah, right, right. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get to it when I'm ready, right? When I'm good and ready. Yeah, well, starting starting right now, I think is hard. And I think that it's um, a lot of people who who have ideas um, are often paralyzed by the uh, perception of the enormity of, of really getting started, uh, especially building a business. Um, there's so many things, so many things you have to do, right? I, I find myself uh, looking, looking at different opportunities that I might have and say, oh my gosh, well, I've got to do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all this time and I got to do this. So how do you prioritize the things that need to be done? Um, I've often heard someone say some of, the, some of the mistakes CEOs make are doing things that are uh, urgent versus important. So how do you prioritize doing the things that need to be done? Correct. Right, right, right. Um, I, I, I've got six answers for that. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to, to, to juggle those as we talk. Um, the way to prioritize these in your life is to find peers that you can work with. What I see as most younger entrepreneurs are pitched this notion of getting into um, an incubator or an accelerator and everybody's going to start feeding you and mentoring you and all of that. And older people can go through those same accelerators, although you pretty much have to break the doors down to get in if you're out of character. It's a pretty mm-hmm. much a young person's game. But the, the issue behind those, and this is the priority part about this, Ryan, is what happens when you get out of these accelerators and you've studied it long enough, what you're, you're left with nothing. You're left with a, a blank sheet of paper. And it's, you know, a thousand people have been credited with the quote, uh, Steve Jobs and the guy that started IBM, but nothing happens until you sell something, until somebody sells something. And that's the idea of these networks. So the priorities is finding your tribe and your network out there. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to be hardwired in financially into your transactions, but maybe they are, and maybe they were one time and will be again. Um, I see this as a, a, a prime nurturing ground for new kinds of enterprises to face these new kinds of problems we're going to be having. Um, this, this economy isn't going to fall back into place gently. 
you know, there's just stressors on this thing from every direction, the likes of which I've never seen. It's going to be all kinds of problems to solve. And who's out there with the knowledge and skills? Sure, you may have a younger champion in a lo- local town that really wants to pick a pick a pick your poison, make uh, you know strawberry popsicles. Um, if I'm in a group and I know somebody that ran a popsicle company or was chief technical officer for a freezing freezer company, I'm going to be able to help tie those people together and network them together. So finding a the priority to me is finding a way to sell what you do and get somebody to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, is this on social media? Like, how do we find these peers? Because I've struggled with this as well. It's just sometimes there's just so much noise out there. And you may think that you're getting into the right group, whether it be a Facebook group or uh, connecting with folks on on social media. Um, but like, is there a way to really determine the proper um, situational networking opportunities? Yeah, and I'm starting one of those. So, um, of course, I think I know exactly what you do, right? Uh, but I don't. And I think there's a, there is no one size fits all. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people who just love the daylights out of Facebook right now. Um, you know, I go and look at my cousin's pet pictures, but I don't want any, I don't want it anywhere near my business. Um, so, but it, it would be a perfectly, you know, I don't want to diss that. That could be a fine fit for somebody else. But I would look for networks that are very small, very discreet, match up with you demographically in the ways that you choose. This is why entrepreneurs go after broken stuff. I looked at this marketplace for older entrepreneurs, and there's very, very few affinity groups. Lots of people who want to go out and wave flags and denounce ageism, right? I get it. And that's an important thing. And I think there's going to be ageism long after I leave this earth. And um, so I choose, I choose my battles and, you know, so somebody want, doesn't want to join our group because we're not waving a banner of anti-ageism. I, I just assume find better ways to do things than bitch about them. Um, so how to find those groups? I, I think it's trial and error. I, I think not paying for anything up front is a good idea. Go, go in, get yourself, you know, get your feet wet, find a mentor inside, find the admins, ask your questions. Um, it's it's in flux. There's a lot of new stuff coming out right now, right through uh, emerging from this pandemic stage. And um, I think it's a big opportunity to use these new tools. But there's not a straight line yet, which is, frankly, a good thing, I think. Yeah, so I'm curious to get your perspective on this as well because you have started businesses at, at different ages. What what would be the benefit, or what was your benefit? Or, or I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, um, what was the best thing about starting a business at 20 versus let's say I don't know when you started your last business it was like 40, 45. Um, how old were you for your last one? Uh, well, I came here to start this one. I was 63. Okay. So what was the benefit of starting a business at 20 versus 60 and vice versa? And then what was the most difficult part about starting a business at 20 versus 63 and vice versa? Uh, The hardest thing, uh, the best thing and hardest thing for starting a business at 20 was that I was unstoppable. No, I knew everything. Nothing could get my way. 
if you had an objection, just please step aside. This is not going to be a problem. I've got this. Um, of course, I didn't have this. And of course, you shouldn't have stepped aside metaphorically. Uh, but I was able to just bowl through that thing. And I'm sure the number of mistakes I made were legion. Um, but it went through in the business when I sold it at 25 years old. It was still going at 40 when I last saw it. Um, so building in these sustainability pieces at the beginning is very important. Uh, starting the one at 60. Uh, well, frankly, I'm starting one now with the Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. That's a 501c3 um, registered. Uh, and then a small group of us are starting that. And I'm one of the co-founders. Um, one of the best potentially among the drawbacks as well uh, is the, my knowledge of what I don't know. Um, mm. That's a big, big subject of all the things I don't know. And now I have enough respect for shutting up and listening to those that do have that knowledge. And that, I'm not sure I was that person when I was in my early twenties, uh, but I certainly am now. And um you know, you don't learn something by talking, you learn by listening. And that has served me well as the more and deeper I get into these new kinds of startups. It may be the nature of the startups I'm working on that match this. So it, that may not be a universal answer, but I know that I am far more comfortable starting businesses now by having lowered expectations for what I can do globally with a raised expectations for what I can do locally. Do you think you would have been better off uh, had you maybe heeded your advice of, of listening a little bit more and, and, um, and understanding that you didn't know everything early on? Without any doubt, with, without any doubt, but I don't carry any guilt around because I have ended up with a really interesting life. Um, and, and that part I, I, I wouldn't trade, but would my first businesses have been better because of the skills I know now? <laughs> yes, they would have, uh, without any doubt. St uh, you said sustainable, and this is something actually um, that seems to be a little bit kind of consistent throughout a lot of what you're doing is this this idea of sustainability. I know the, the current um, project you've been working on, Food 21, uh, is all about building a sustainable food network as well. Um, so networking and sustainability. Um, but tell me about sustainability. It's, it seems very important in terms of um, the long-term um, profitability of a company, but how do you build sustainability within, within a company that you're building? So I have a simple rule that I've used my whole life on this, and that is it's not sustainable if it's not repeatable. Mm. And what I mean by that, and there's usually a financial component to that phrase, hiding right below the surface. And, and that is if you rely on shortcuts and tricks and little hacks and beating the next guy out of something that might have been better to share, um, all of those things, if that's what your business model's on, and you can turn on the TV any time of day or night and see people doing this to each other, you know, cutting corners and being a mean guy and all of this stuff. I mean, that's baloney. It's just not sustainable. You're going to get knocked off. or and, and if you don't get knocked off, you're going to lead a long, miserable life. Um, 
building in this idea of making it sustainable. So you make a product, you develop a service that people want to buy once and then they want to come back and they want to buy it again or they tell their friends. And it's based on normal market transactions. And this is even within nonprofits. Um, if you continue to rely strictly on philanthropy for these things or one-time off tricks, um, you're going to have trouble in the long run. You're going to go slower the way I'm describing. Uh, without any doubt. Um, but I'll take slower and longer rather than quicker and deader. Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. I love that. <laughs> I'll, I'll take anytime anyone makes up a word. I, sometimes just making up a word seems like it's it's like the best fit for the conversation you're having. Huh. You're like, huh. yeah. I deader. went right to deader. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Um, what kind of like what kind of entrepreneurial um, aspects, just traits of an entrepreneur uh, seem to be translatable to every aspect of life. Right. And we're seeing this glossy, larger than life version of entrepreneurship out in the paper, you know, Musk buying Twitter and all of this stuff and the billions and billions of dollars. Um. Those are perfectly good routes. People do it all the time and they lead good lives and they're, and they're fine and they're happy. I just don't know how to do that. And, I'm, and I've never been comfortable doing it. But the skills that you do, by, especially as an entrepreneur, I think the highest skill set of all is to listen well. And if you're a good listener, that's going to make you a much better human being in your family life and your personal life and all the rest of it. Um, I think building in the sustainability uh, is a practice not only for entrepreneurship and your professional life, but that translates over into your personal life as well. You take care of your relationships, you care, take care of your community, you take care of your friends. Um, those are the things that uh, entrepreneurship informs your life in. And um, and those are lessons that you can't buy, right? You got to learn them. Uh, you got to learn by doing them. And you get out there and you're the smartest guy in the black and you're bossing people around and telling people what to do. Uh, you're going to have a life just like that too. And nobody's going to like either side of the equation. Yeah, no, that's so true. It's, uh, I forget where I, I heard it, but, um, Oh, it was, I think the book called the infinite game. And right. I think Simon Sinek just talks about the goal is not to win in, in business necessarily, but it's to perpetuate the game itself. Right. Um, and, and that's a lot about building a network and it's a lot about sustainability. Uh, you know, you mentioned Musk and, and you, Rick, actually have started a handful of companies in various industries. Uh, you know, you started the, the banners, you started the separators in terms of um, the, the high machinery and you've started Food Network, Food 21, and now this ageless um, entrepreneur, that's a lot of different industries. So how can you be successful in all of these industries? And then translate that, how can someone like Elon Musk be successful in multiple industries like PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX, and now hopefully Twitter as well? Um, Ryan, I think you might be the only person who puts me in the same sentence with Elon <laughs> Musk. So I, I guess welcome. thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we all do it 
these games based on where we want to get to. And God knows where Elon Musk wants to get to. He's got a path. He's following it. I, it's, if it's legal, I'm all in. And he's fine. I'm not, there's no shade getting thrown here. Uh, if it's legal, I'm in. But what I don't want to do is tell people that you have to do it that way. When in fact, the majority of us are leaving careers, are in careers, we're transitioning to stuff, we're taking care of parents, we're taking care of kids, taking care of our communities. There's a lot of different ways that you can move around in industries. But one last addendum to that is something we're working on here at the Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. My uh, co-founder is working on the academic uh, surveys for this, something called phased retirement. And, I, and this goes back to that consulting gig I was doing where I was watching people getting pushed out the door. I mean, ultimately, the only thing I could say there is it's just stupid. It's just dumb. But why don't we have, and, and a lot of it is based on non-competes. You get to your retirement age, you can go do anything you want, but don't do anything that we were doing. Well, I don't have an exact word for it since you're making up words with me here. We might uh, We might stumble on one. Uh, but I've been calling it a please compete, is that why not a phased retirement? So if you are in, I'll use that, that was a food trade association. If you're in a, a major food company, maybe it's a multi-billion dollar vertical operation and they've just been blowing off this one tiny little market segment. I don't know what it is, you know, skateboarders with orange hair. Uh, no, we're not going to deal skate. Well, you could go out and say, you know, I'd like to take a couple years and integrate myself with these skateboarders, especially the ones with the orange hair. Pretty soon, now, obviously, that's not the right subset of this, but you're going to go out in some part of that market or that industry that you loved that everybody else was ignoring and you just had to ignore with it because you're part of the team. Now they'll say, you know what, Joe, why don't you go on over there and take that? Maybe we'll start to cut your benefits back slowly and your payback slowly. You can ease out of the company. But now here's Joe bringing back tactical information from a new market that these billionaire owners couldn't have gotten with all the money in the, in the world. And now they've got this tactical information, actionable information about a new market that they just couldn't have bought for money. And now this person has a life, they're making a contribution, they're keeping a market going, they're helping their prior company. I think there's a number of ways to skin that. You don't have to jump from industry to industry. Um, some of us are like that. And uh, frankly, underneath all of those are not too dissimilar, but um, that that's how I would approach it. Yeah, and it's to that phrase, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? I mean, if you are if you are asking someone, please compete, someone that works for your company, uh, what you're asking them to do in, in one way is, is increase the quality of the industry and the competition. And so long as the company you work for the, or the company you're running, if you're the CEO asking yeah. people to compete, so long as you are visionary, forward-thinking, um, and proactive, then you likely will leverage that growth for further revenue or, or impact, whatever that may be, uh, within your own company. Uh, in, in ways that they couldn't have imagined. And, that, and, it does, and it does strengthen the entire industry, not only the company of that CEO, but frankly, it strengthens their industry. They're yeah. not going to get blindsided by some you know, a, a, a knockoff thing that comes from another planet in, in these cases or 
but yeah, proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying proof of concept, right? Like, it's maybe maybe you say, "Hey, Rick, you're interested in these orange hair skateboarders. You know, go go do your thing. If that industry blows up, I mean, whatever. I'm not invested in it yet. Um, well, hey, it maybe maybe it blows up in the good way, and and you understand that there's an untapped market. Now you have a proof of concept to actually uh, increase your investments within that realm, uh, and you didn't have any any exposure otherwise financial. Correct. Correct. And now you've got an advocate of, that's come out of your organization, pioneering this new market, learning about this new market, bringing it back. Now that pioneer has just strengthened their hand, not only with the new market, but with their prior connection and makes everybody stronger and really didn't cost anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rick, this is this is a really fun conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. I've got a couple of questions that I ask at the end of every podcast. But um, look, I, I love what you're talking about with with ageless entrepreneurs. I, I will say I think you are probably ageless to, to use the term throwing shade at someone. So, I, you know, that's uh, definitely a, a young folk term. I love that. <laughs> but um, how can people find you, Rick, if, if they're interested in, in learning a little bit more about pursuing their entrepreneur journey maybe they you know heard something in here that that tickled their fancy sure thank you ryan um well there's a book and you can probably get it out of your library but it's on uh, amazon and all the usual places but that book is called ageless startup start a business at any age and the url for that is ageless-startup.com but we're also starting this uh, 501c3 nonprofit as a place for people to gather together and learn from one another. It is uh, That is the Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs, and that is agelessentrepreneurs.org. I've got university connections, got some wonderful people coming in, just amazing entrepreneurs from all over the world. Uh, and really interesting to see the peer groups starting there. So welcome to either of those. And I love the idea of, of creating this um, this network because it's like what you said. I mean, if you don't know other entrepreneurs, you're not going to have that that concept of how this is done. So yeah, you know, you should be going to a group like this if if it's something you're interested in. So I love that. Um, but Rick, thank you so much for sharing that. All those links will be in the show notes. Final three questions that I ask everybody: What is the most impactful book that you have ever read? Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Mm, stoicism. Uh, correct. That'll get you through. Uh, what What's like the one stoic principle that you apply to your life? It's all going to be over soon. Do the best you can with what you got. Ryan, you just referred to um, this being part of a, uh, an ongoing process. We are in a relay race. So you do the very best when you're a relay race in your leg of the relay. And you do the very best you can. And you're doing it for those that got you there and those that you're handing it off to. And I think that's a real stoic principle. Man, that's great. That's great. If you could have a drink with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be? What would you drink and why? One person. One person. I'm going to pick Buckminster Fuller. Who? Uh, he- he was an engineer and a scientist and a futurist and a philosopher as I was growing up. And his picture, signed autograph, is right over my shoulder here. 
But this idea of closed networks, I even use these geodesic spheres as a tensile strength with a minimum amount of management to control a maximum amount of benefit on the inside of these. Um, he was an architect and a scientist and a thinker and an inventor. I think he had almost 300 patents. Wow. Um, I really love what he did for the world and with the world while he was here. Uh, so it would either be Buckminster Fuller or Harriet Tubman, who is a, a, someone I really admire. So one of those two. I love that. I love that. Last question. The Every Breath Counts podcast. Um, I started it for many reasons. Um, but to me, the Every Breath Counts mindset is twofold. It's the idea that on one hand, you have a finite amount of breaths in your life and you should leverage them to do the most for your life that you could possibly do. And on the other hand, with those same amount of finite breaths, you should be grateful for each one that you take. Um, and I started the podcast so that I could talk to people like you, Rick, and, and learn what is you know the proper way to begin the entrepreneurial journey at any age. Um, but it's talking to people who have been there, who have done that, and to demystify what it takes to be successful in this world. And that's really how I appreciate a lot of the breaths that I take is, is through these conversations. So, Rick, how do you make every breath count in your life? I continue to use that relay race that we, I just mentioned earlier. I don't want to be repetitive here, but I think it's really, really meaningful. With the actions I take, I need to honor the people that have come before me and that have gotten me to the place that I'm at in my life. Um, and we're going to hand this off to the next group that follows us. And so I have to make those breaths count. I need to make those breaths efficient, not in a you know, management time watch, kind of a, a stopwatch kind of a, a, a deal, but to make sure each of those breaths has meaning or as much as I can build into it for the directions that I want to leave with this new organization, especially. Awesome. Rick Tarian, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Guys, if you are interested in becoming an entre entrepreneur at any age, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, it doesn't matter. Let's go out and continue to build the network that you need to make things happen in your life. And you can go out and I hope that you go see Rick at the Ageless Entrepreneur. Get the book, The Ageless Startup. Um, understand that you can do anything at any age and enjoy every aspect of your life. Enjoy every breath you take and make every breath count. Mm -hmm.